There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. People who are fully vaccinated could receive their EU digital COVID certificates next week. But the World Health Organization's Dr. Mike Ryan has said that societies are making a premature rush back to full normality and need to share vaccines. And we're leaving people on this planet with hundreds of times more likelihood of dying from COVID unvaccinated, while we're busily going vaccinating people who have a highly unlikely, if any, chance of dying. Pinafall TD Dara Kaliri and Sinn Féin TD Kathleen Funchen will be here in studio to discuss the latest developments. The Irish Medical Organisation's Chair of the GP Council, Dr Dennis McCauley, will discuss the rising COVID-19 rates in Donegal. Will the future of the work week include a four-day week? Managing Director of the HR Suite, Caroline Reedy, and Clinical Director of the Therapy Institute, Richard Hogan, will be here to discuss the pros and cons to the potential new working week. And later, Andrea Brannigan, the mother of murdered Irish woman Danielle McLaughlin, speaks to us ahead of the resumption next week of the trial in India. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, we're joined by Virgin Media News correspondent Richard Chambers, who's at the Department of Health for us. And Richard, the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan, saying this evening, we are seeing a small but concerning increase in hospitalisations. Yes, Claire, this evening, Neffet confirming 397 new cases of COVID-19. As you say, there has been an increase in the number of people in hospital in recent days. It is 54 this evening. It started out at 42 before the weekend, 38 the weekend before that. So uh, there has been a significant rise, a small rise coming from a low base, but one uh, which the chief medical officer uh, says is uh, quite concerning given uh, the scale of it. But uh, 17 people, 16 people, I should say, also being treated uh, in intensive care units. Uh, that is something which uh, is up two from uh, previous days. But the message from the government today has been that uh, there will be an increase in cases. We are going to see cases uh, on the increase uh, in the weeks ahead. That is something which is expected, uh, but it is something which they want to see break the cycle between hospitalisation resulting from those cases and those infections. And a lot of talk, Richard, today about the EU digital COVID certs. They will be issued from next week, or will they? It's a big logistical issue, and the government's saying tonight that there's no guarantee that everyone will have them by July 19th. 
No, no guarantees, Claire. The, the message from the government today is that there's about 1.9 million people in the country who have now been fully vaccinated. They're going to be receiving their digital cert. Uh, half of them will be likely getting it by email. Half of them are getting it by post. You'll get it by post. Uh, we understand if you got your vaccine uh, in a GP or in a pharmacy, you'll get it by email if you registered on the HSE's centralised vaccine hub. Uh, now, it is unusual. It's not unusual that these things are posted out. This is how it has actually worked in Germany as well. It is taking the the form of a small QR code which you can scan uh, upon entry or on your phone. So that is uh, how this has worked. There will also be, of course, a helpline in place to try and guide people through some of the teething problems which are expected uh, by this. The HSE does also, of course, have records uh, for people who have uh, been previously infected with COVID-19. Of course, immunity will be part of this. Uh, so people who have been infected uh, with confirmed COVID-19 over the previous nine months. But this is a major, major operation. The Department of Health uh, will be putting the steps in place for the call centre around this. Quite exactly how large that is going to be, how many people are going to be employed in that, uh, we simply don't know at this stage. But as you're saying, uh, the government says it can't guarantee that everybody is going to have those uh, digital COVID certificates by the start of them on July the 19th. And tomorrow, Richard, the vaccine portal is opening for those aged 30 to 34. Tell us more. Yes, this is really now uh, another signifier of the fact that this is a race between the variants and the vaccines. Uh, the HSE really stepping up the rollout to younger age groups. Uh, of course, uh, start of this week, they started the 18 to 34 year olds being vaccinated in pharmacies with the Janssen vaccine. Then today, the health minister confirming uh, that the uh, 30 to 34 year olds can register for the Pfizer jab or the Moderna jab, the mRNAs on the HSE portal from tomorrow. So that's people aged between 30 and 34. There is there is also some concern, though, some uh, public health experts, some doctors in the community uh, pointing out that not everybody aged over 60 has been vaccinated with their second dose of AstraZeneca at this point. Uh, the HSE says that will be done by the end of next week. OK, Richard, at the Department of Health, thank you for bringing us that update tonight. Well, Chair of the GP Council at the Irish Medical Organisation, Dr Dennis McCauley, joins us now via Skype. Um, Dr McCauley, you're in Donegal, where we're seeing the incidence of COVID infection uh, rate six times higher than the national average. Um, you've se we've seen spikes before, of course, in Donegal, but now we have the Delta variant. So how is that playing into the situation there and who's presenting with infection? I think you have to realise that it's very much in North Donegal in, in Ishoon, which is very much a hinterland of Derry. So where it's happening is there mainly that, that is going up by a factor of six. Um, it is the, Del the Delta variant. It seems to be affecting only people who have not been fully, fully vaccinated. Um, naturally, um, it's early to say, it's too early to say what's going to happen. I think um, Northern Ireland is really a testing ground for us. I think the reason it's so high in, in Ishoon is because naturally it, it is exactly the same rate in Derry presently. Yeah, tell us about the proximity to the border and uh, are we seeing just plenty of people just living their lives across the border, going, enjoying indoor dining and everything that is on offer that's not currently on offer here? Yes, I think it's important to realise that uh, North uh, Donegal, in Ishoon particularly, is basically the same social and economic area as Derry. So you're just having people doing what they normally do. Young people are aware that within a, a 10 minute uh, taxi ride, they can go out for the, for the evening without any um, restrictions that is happening. Once again, I think that's just a fact. It's not a judgment. And what's happening is that the Delta virus is spreading accordingly. I think that 
it's a very, what we've noticed and what colleagues have actually noticed, it's a very transmissible virus when it comes into a house. Everybody's affected rather than with the last variant, maybe 60, 70% of them are um, affected. So I think Northern Ireland is very much a testing ground. We are now, I think, exceeding them in regards to second vaccinations. Their rate has gone up by a factor of nearly six in the last two and a half weeks. And it's affecting people over 40 as well, people who are not fully vaccinated. So I think it is, the, the, the one factor that is different is their hospitality is more open than ours. So it, it allows us to look at, unfortunately, what could happen if we don't get the reopening of hospitality you know, sorted in the, uh, on the side of the border. Now the head of the HSE, Paul Reid, has said that 14,000 swabs have been taken. That's the highest rate since January. Is that something you're seeing on the ground, that more people are getting tested and as a result, we're also getting higher positivity rates? I think it's not as simple as that. I think uh, prior to the to the cyber attack, we were the gatekeepers of the tests. And uh, uh, really, we had a finger on the pulse as a result. We got the positive results back. We rang the patient. We made sure that they were, they were following uh, um, proper guidance. Unfortunately, since the cyber attack, people are, are walking in to get tests. So there are patients of ours who are positive and we are not aware that they are positive. We're only hearing it anecdotally or if they ring us. PP and uh, adults, people under 16, we are vaccinating them. And in the southern part of Donegal, I'm, we're on the border of north and south Donegal, the um, incidence of Delta virus is relatively small compared to places like Bunkrana and Carndonna. So I think the testing capacity, I think, is still, we're still within testing capacity. But if this becomes a national issue and the amount of tests go up, some form of gatekeeping rule may have to be reintroduced. I want to ask you about the vaccine rollout. We're seeing the vaccine portal open for 30 to 34-year-olds tomorrow. We've had pharmacies busy up and down the country. Um, you'd welcome this, I take it, and also see it as a way of, br of bringing those infection numbers down. Very, very much so. I think that, the, remember, there's also a third strand as well. Up to 700 general, practice, uh, general practitioners are still vaccinating. We are vaccinating uh, maybe next Thursday up to about four or 500 people or we're doing it on, on an age group basis. It has been very equitable, but we are, have enough vaccines now to vaccinate some people in our, in our under 30s. So we are, we are doing that. So I think that it is now a time not to worry about who you vaccinate, just vaccinate as many people, as many arms as you can see, vaccinate, please. Okay, thank you for that uh, update, bringing us the latest there from Donegal tonight, Dr. Dennis McCauley. Um, Fianna Fáil TD, Dara Cleary and Sinn Féin TD, Kathleen Funchen, uh, join me now in studio. Uh, Dara, I want to come to you first because we heard Dr. Mike Ryan at the start of the programme of the World Health Organisation who said not enough people have been vaccinated for any country to lift restrictions too early and yet we're seeing our nearest neighbour do that and we see it play into arguably these figures that we're seeing in Donegal now. We know the North is not... We don't know yet whether they'll open up and loosen restrictions to the same extent as what will happen in England on July 19th. But will we pay a price for that? Do you think there'll be a fallout here? Well, look, I think the Northern Executive's meeting on Thursday to discuss it, the soundings certainly from Michelle O'Neill today is that they won't go down the full route, particularly around masks and social distancing. Um, you know, I can't understand why they're taking the mask uh, thing away at this stage. They seem willing to go in England to 100,000 cases per day. Um, they seem to believe that it won't have a big impact on their health uh, system. Uh, however, you know, their health workers like ours have just come to the end of this phase of the pandemic. They're absolutely exhausted. Uh, and I cannot understand why they're willing to 
put more exhaustion on top of them. Um, we do want to get back to normality, but I think, as Mike Ryan said, we did this, it's premature. Um, we do not want a situation. So, for instance, tonight in Catalonia, they're beginning to bring in restrictions, uh, the ease restrictions. In Israel, they're bringing in restrictions that they eased a few weeks ago. The theme and the constant mantra of the government is when we open things, we try and keep them open. And that has to be the way everywhere. Yeah, the argument, though, being made also is when we're seeing this decision being made in Britain about reopening and loosing restrictions is that this virus will be with us and it's something that we have to live with. We have to face the fact that there will always be cases. There may be a rising number of cases, but if people are vaccinated, hospitalizations may remain relatively low. Is that a conversation, do you think, we need to have, Kathleen Function? Well, definitely we've spoken a lot or we've heard a lot over the last few months, the last year now at this stage about living with COVID and what does that actually mean? And I do think that, you know, people are very, very frustrated and are totally fed up and for lots of different reasons, whether it's you've been affected personally through a job loss, through your business, you know, people's mental health has been really badly affected. So we do need to make sure that when we do reopen, I would agree with Dara that things do stay open, but we also do need to actually learn to live with COVID. So we don't, we can't really shy away from it either. I do feel that sometimes we've been sort of quick lock everything up. That's the solution. So we need to look at um, indoor dining and look at how do we safely reopen that, look at bringing in a role for antigen testing. You know, that does have a role to play. And it, like, it's very frustrating for people when you look at other European countries that have manage some of these things very carefully and there is potential solutions there you know that we haven't actually seen that and I mean it was referenced there in relation to the vaccine that is the answer and it's been staring us in the face since the end of December that you know and here we are in July sometimes I find it frustrating with such a small population that we're still you know what well, it's welcome that it's yeah. open now tomorrow for 30 to 34. What the but Delta variant has shown is that vaccines aren't necessarily the answer it's not just well, that they do, because there they are people do, who are they do offer a great level of protection yeah and in terms of the level of illness that you would get that we may have, that we will obviously face down the line as well with it, other it potential does, it, variants. It does seem to be proven, though, that first of all, your chances are, are, are lowered and then second of all, in terms of illness and, and hospitalisation and potential ICU. And that's another thing that we need to look at, the, the hospitalisation. We need to keep an eye on those figures too. Um, you know, and, I, and I think we just need to be really careful in how we're communicating things with people because people really are at the end of their tether as well. And I just think, you know, there is hope in the terms of, of um, the vaccination and that actually being, you know, ramped up. And I think it's important that that's what we're saying to people as well, because, you know, just from my dealings with people, they're just, you know, they, they really can't take any, any more negativity. Do you think there's that general feeling of frustration now? Are we Absolutely. Sure? We all have it. Like, yeah. We, yeah. It's not, I'm sure the three of us and every the team here have it. Um, but, you know, we're ramping up the vaccination. What's to to try to put out that more positive message now? Well, look, today was a big day because we hit 50% of the population having full vaccination. We did 343,000 vaccinations last week and I want to pay tribute to every single person in the vaccination centres, all our GPs, all our pharmacists, um, and that's going to be ramped up. Um, you know, we've secured through the Taoiseach's work a million extra um, Pfizer and Moderna vases from Romania, the work to get those here. So that's going to make sure um, that we could possibly have everybody vaccinated fully, every adult it, it by the is, end of August. It is, as you say, a milestone. It's 50% of the adult population. That's still 50%, though, that is not vaccinated, and that's not including children. And there yeah, is and a we're, push we're for, for that, children 
to be vaccinated ahead of schools going back. Isn't this something that we also have to look at? That's being looked at and NIAC are going to look at that because we've always taken guidance from NIAC in terms of the va vaccination. Um, I know it's being approved of by the EMA, so NIAC are going to look at it. Um, but I think the supply levels, we have 200,000 um, doses of Janssen, the one shot uh, for July, and potentially a further 285,000 for August. So our supply is very healthy. NIAC are considering children, and it is an issue I'm certainly watching in England. Uh, there's a lot of infections arising in secondary schools. That's something that we'd be very cautious, careful about is and it, conscious is of. Is it something you'd like to see happen before schools return in September? Well, I want to see NIAC give the go-ahead first and then let the uh, HSE build it in. If it can be done before schools go back, that will be great. But let's do it safely. OK. Uh, I just want to... Uh get people up to date on where we are with this EU digital COVID cert. It's really complicated because it's not just about people who are vaccinated. It's also people who have had COVID in recent months um, and those then who, who get negative PCR tests in order to travel. Where are we with that? Because the government can't confirm tonight that everyone will be, who, who is entitled to, to get that COVID travel cert, will be sorted come July 19th. I think most will be. Um, I... I I prefer the approach of under-promising and over-delivering. We, um, you know, they, the process to get that out to people is underway. Um, it'll go, as Richard has outlined, by email. I understand if, you, if the vaccination centres have your email address, which if you use the portal, they will. It'll go by post. Otherwise, I understand there'll be a QR cert. Um, somebody compared it to when you get your passport picture, you get a cert, you get a code that you can put up onto your phone, you can load onto your phone. And that should be ready. Most people will be ready. There will be a call centre so that people that have difficulties can contact that call centre and they will be resolved. Do you expect it to be busy, I, that helpline? Well, I hope not. And, and I've actually, I think in fairness to everybody involved in the vaccination rollout, and this is part of, the vac this is part of it, the vaccination rollout, once we got the supply issues ironed out, has been very well done. And I think okay. this will be too. Uh, Kathleen Funchen, what do you think of this plan? Um, we know that they're scrambling now to, to yeah. send letters out and, and get the 1.9 million people who've been vaccinated covered and proof of vaccination in time for July 19th. Yeah, I suppose, first of all, we were one of the only European countries not to have it up and running for, for the 1st of July. Um, so I do think they should be able to stick to their target of the 19th of July. Um, I suppose part of me is wondering the, the vaccine cards that everybody got when they would have gotten vac vaccinated, why that can't be used. What's the, the necessity to, to send out an, an additional letter? And I know there's other parts to it in terms of the negative PCR and what you're saying in relation to people having recovered from COVID. So I know there's a few elements to it, but I would, I, I'd hate to say it, but I would foresee potential difficulties. It, would that I, have been a simpler method to get your proof of vaccination? You get a card and you, you get a badge. You, you do get you a card. You get a badge. You get a card. You do would, get the, you know, the you get card, the card. That would, that be a, would that be a simpler way of doing it? I, I know I was in the queue myself to get my second dose of the day and somebody had, the person in front of me had lost their card, couldn't find it from the first day. So at least this will be an email, it'll be on your system, it'll be a letter. We, we tend to mind letters, cards And what get happens lost. then with that letter? You, you, you will then have a QR code. I understand it'll be, be to a QR code, you'll be able to load it up on your phone. I'm not the most technical of people. Um, but from the descriptions I'm hearing, yeah. it will be, you can load it onto your phone or have the... Uh, and it, the I think it's important to say as well that it, it, it should be another way for anybody who isn't, you know, 
in, in terms of technology, I don't think we should just be totally relying on apps either. I think that's unfair. I think that's where the help desk will come in. I think and people... the technological expertise is behind this now because the argument has been made there that you know other European countries have had this up and running and they're ready to go with it and yet we're sort of looking so at... So we're, we're running late because of the cyber attack that took out our uh, a lot of our health IT infrastructure. Is that, is that, is that the only reason? Uh, that's what I understand and, and I know and I'm sure Kathleen is the same from our own dealings with the health service. Um, it, it has completely compromised the very most basic dealings yeah. of the health service. So I presume something as complex as this. Okay. Everything we're being told is that it will be ready to roll. I know my colleague Thomas Byrne and Oshin Smith have been working incredibly hard on it. It will be ready to roll right. for the 19th. Just, I imagine for, for the negative PCR test part of it, that will have to be like a, a test result email to you from a, a medical you know, institution or a doctor. So I'm, I'm not sure just why they couldn't use the, the vaccine card in the interim, even while there is issues with the cyber attack. I mean, we well, were all told when yeah, I have one vaccine down and we were told, hang on to this card. And, you know, I know people who are even getting their cards laminated. Okay. So it just seems like it is something that they could look at. OK, OK. You know? Well, I just want to talk about, uh, you know, Neffet's caution there and Dr Tony Hulland tonight talking about um, this small but concerning increase in the number of people in hospital in relation to COVID and the projection that we could see a thousand cases a day by July 19th. Will this in any way put those travel plans in jeopardy despite promises that we've made across the EU that we will all be in this, uh, you know, travel uh, travel bubble, as it were, and we will be allowed and free to travel from mid-July. Well, look, we're, we're travelling on the basis that we're vaccinated and we're tra- the search shows people are va- either vaccinated or have COVID antibodies. The vaccination provides, I think it's 65% protection against catching it and 95% protection against hospitalisation. Um, we are an island. We, we do some stage begin to have to make the steps, come back to the earlier discussion of beginning to live. Uh, with COVID because it's going to be with us for some time. Um, and So even I if there's some... nefit caution there, because we know that they are against unnecessary travel, I doubt very much, but I don't know that that advice will change come the middle of July. They'd probably prefer We're, people to stay I, Again, home. it's not travel like travel used to be, Claire. Like it's travel with a certificate. It's travel under very difficult circumstances coming through airports. And I think that's the kind of... It's very, it's very mind to travel and careful travel. Uh, and as I said, tra- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Travel on the basis of you having full vaccination. But I take it, you know, Sinn Féin, other parties would welcome people going away, you know, getting some freedoms back if we have, you know, half the adult population now fully vaccinated. 
Look, I think people have played like a huge role in this over the last year and a bit in terms of, you know, staying indoors and all of the various restrictions. And I do think we have to start actually opening things up in terms of safely opening it up and, and giving people some level of, like you're saying, getting their life back. So as Dara has said, like there is, it is very strict in terms of the, you know, the, the requirements to travel. I would like to make the point though, when we're speaking about hospitals, like during all of this, we haven't really seen any increase in bed capacity or ICU capacity. And before COVID, there were serious issues in our health okay. services. And, you know, people were really stretched and we really should be learning from that in terms of staff and, and frontline staff and bed capacity and ICU capacity. And we also then need to be, you know, be look at the hospital numbers, but also look at them in, in the wider picture as well and not, not overly sort of panic people. I just think that there's a lot of that uh, at the moment. Oh, and also I make the point, Claire, it's not just people travelling, it's people coming home. It's families who haven't been home in two years uh, coming home to see family that they haven't seen in yeah. two years. And uh, let's not forget that element of it as well. OK, all right, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Sinn Féin's Kathleen Funchen and Dr Dennis McCauley. Derek Leary will be staying with us. And after the break, will the future work week be only four days a week? Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, Minister for Transport Eamon Ryan has suggested today that people may be able to return to the offices come September. But will be people be ready for a full return or is a four-day week on the cards? Fianna Fáil's Derek Leary is still here and I'm joined by Managing Director of the HR Suite, Caroline Reedy, and via Skype from Seattle is Clinical Director of the Therapy Institute, Richard Hogan. Um, Caroline, I'd like to come to you first on this because the campaign for a four-day week is certainly gaining momentum. Um, and the pandemic has clearly brought it into focus as people's lives have had to shift, working lives have had to shift so suddenly. But tell us how and why this idea for four-day week has become so popular. I suppose we could never have imagined that remote working would have taken off as it has done during the pandemic and would be so successful. And for a lot of people, as they return in September, it's going to be a new hybrid model. And a lot of people, I suppose, have enjoyed this new work-life balance that they've got through COVID, which has been one of the best bits, I suppose, realistically for a lot of people. And as a result, a lot of people now are rethinking what does the return look like in September? And this four-day working model that has been trialled in lots of European countries is something that's getting a lot of focus. Uh, Dublin City Council have voted in on Monday night that they're going to trial it, which is really exciting to see somebody really go through the, the process, which is first step, I suppose, really. And I suppose people will want to know, in practical terms, how will it work? Because you could think that employers might suggest that, OK, you're working four days, this means you squash your 40 hours into four days instead of spreading it out over five. But the idea is to reduce your working hours on the same pay and increase productivity as a result. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? It does. Um, it's Is it realistic? Really, yeah, I suppose. I think it's a lot of my clients are actually doing it, ha, trialled it during COVID and are continuing the trial. Um, they're finding a huge increase in productivity. 
it's a really good re- retention and attraction tool and they're seeing lots of benefits, but it requires a lot of effort from both the employer and the employees to really maximise what does productivity look like? Because I think technology, there's lots of things to enhance and help us now from a productivity perspective. But ultimately, I suppose there's always going to be a concern. Is that going to be the employer paying more and we don't get the productivity gains? So I think the trial approach that the private sector and the public sector are now going to do over the next six months will test that. Okay, I want to bring Richard Hogan in here. Uh, Richard, when we're looking at workers returning to work um, after this pandemic, Tell us just a little bit about the idea of a four-day working week does sound like a great idea because the pandemic has put the focus on people's lives back into, you know, reaching a balance between home life Mm. and work life. It sounds like it could be less stress and and better all round for the worker. Do you think that'll be the case? Well, it sounds like that it could easily be that, but I, I, I suppose I would have concerns that if this is, um, we're going to move into hybrid working and we're going to th- move into a hybrid way of, of doing the work that we do, and there's no really well thought out way within the organisation to, ha- to help those colleagues to manage what the hybrid means, I think we could fall into chaos. And I think that uh, a lot of people would feel isolated and um, out of the, let's say, the group or cliques can form so quickly. We're social animals. We experience work as a social environment. And, you know, Claire, when we when you hit your hand with a hammer, a part of the brain fires called the dorsal portion of the anterior cingulate cortex. And when you actually okay. feel isolated from your friend or you feel isolated okay. from colleagues or if you if you feel that workers are getting ahead and you're getting left out because you're at home, that same part of the brain research would show will fire. So there's a there's a huge potential, I think, if it's not managed correctly, if it's not really well thought out and the communication is clear, I think there could be a potential for people to further feel mm. uh, isolated and, and left, you know. So is this in the case that, say, one employee may take a four-day week, but other people might be working five days or people's days off or on different days, therefore there are meetings, work is continuing, but you're not involved? Is that, is that potentially that's, the issue that's you exactly- see there? That's exactly it, Claire. We're hierarchical, you know, humans are hierarchical species by nature. And so, you know, in the organisations we're talking about, a lot of people are ambitious, a lot of people want to get ahead. And I suppose there is a probably inherent bias and prejudice before COVID around remote learning. A research would show you that, you know, remote workers would be less likely to get promoted. And so if if people begin to see that being in work and face-to-face gets me leverage and face-to-face gets me, you know, the promotion, that's what's going to create, I think, a a real resentment within the organisation and again, that feeling of people being isolated and mm. feeling ruminating on the idea that I'm not in work. There's the meeting going on. Look at them all chatting in the meeting and I'm at home. I should have been at that meeting. You know, I can't get into that meeting because I'm bringing my kid to school today. And, and I think that idea of flexibility is a huge thing that we're talking about. This seems great, but I think once it gets kind of copper fastened, we'll see there's an inflexibility in, within this flexible working. You know, once we weave our, work, our daily life into it and collecting the kids and all the other you know responsibilities that we have, that flexibility will become very inflexible. And so just right. jumping on a call, like we all have this idea of a utopian jumping on a call and just being wherever we want, like Seattle and all that. Well, I don't think it's going to be like that. And the it question does, you raised there was a, a very important yeah. word, was re- realistic. Because remote working from where you are right yeah. now looks lovely, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, I, I, it's not bad. <laughs> Derek Leary, I want to bring uh, you in on this because recently the Thoner said the idea of a four-day working week is ambitious 
and he wasn't sure it would work here. Yet we are seeing studies in places like Iceland recently, just it, it emerged today that it, in terms of you know fostering this four-day working week, it can be really beneficial to employees. It can increase productivity. And crucially, it's getting that work-life balance that have held so many people back when we look at issues around childcare, around family life, and achieving that balance to make sure everyone's happier, but also more productive. Yeah, look, it's, it's not going to be easy. Um, but the Icelandic study was interesting. It's just come today. It was done over, over a number of years, 2,000 employees. Productivity increased, even though their hours were reduced. So it wasn't a case of uh, slamming it in. So the government have put here, uh, we've put €150,000 on the table for a small research product, a project here. Um, there's a four-day week campaign here in Ireland led by Joe O'Connor from Forza. Um, they've been pushing the boat on this for quite some time. And I think, you know, as Caroline said and Richard, COVID has changed it. Remote working is now, we've had 15 months of it, not by choice, but it seemed to be working. Uh, there are a lot of tweaking. There is the office politics, the Richard and the organisational politics that has to be uh, factored in. But um, we also have to look at the broader macroeconomic issues, competitiveness as a country, um, how does it affect our competitiveness? Is but I do think there is momentum building around this. There is momentum building about a better work-life balance. The One of the only good things to come of the last 15 to 16 months is that people have a better sense of work-life balance now, isn't, and it works. Isn't it about, though, looking at organisations and seeing where they can be more efficient? Sometimes there's a five-day working week. It could even stem into six days. But it, if organisations are more efficient in how they do things, then you can work 35 hours and get the work done. Absolutely. But you have to take the worker into account as well. And we were just, Caroline was just filling us in here during the break that Henry Ford actually started moving from a seven-day week to a six-day week. And, you know, there was a seven-day week within living memory for some people. Um, so work patterns change all the time. Work patterns change in generations. Uh, the pandemic of 1920 changed an awful lot of yeah. things. The pandemic of 2020 will change things. I'm just talking about the return to work then and this idea, uh, it was touched upon about the hybrid working week that for some employees, they may wish to stay at home. Many people probably want to get back to the office as well, but a lot of people would like a mix of both. What sort of challenges will that present? Like, would employers generally prefer to see people in the office where they can, you know, influence them, motivate them, you know, get the team on side? Because that has been a challenge, hasn't it, to, to motivate people during this pandemic and a lot of workers feeling isolated and feeling that it's difficult for them uh, to get through the working week when they're stuck in a desk uh, at their kitchen table. I think it, there's not one size fits all in this scenario. And I think for a lot of people, remote working has been a dream. They can work, you know, uh, for any company all over the world and be based in Kerry, be at the beach within five minutes of finishing work and have a fabulous work-life balance based on they choose where they work, they choose the hours they work and they have a lot more flexibility as a result. I think a lot of people will be very slow to give that up. I think if people want to retain and attract really good talent and facilitate people to have a better work-life balance, which I think is a very high priority now, most job adverts will incorporate that into it now because they know they have to. Okay. From the point of view of regional development, this is a game changer. Mm. Remote working works, it's, pro it's productive, it's happy employees. We've been saying this for many years, you can be based in the regions and based in Mayo with the best of technology, the best of facilities. Well, I'm sure and there are spots around the country that the, the best of technology isn't there. And we're in working terms on that. We're putting, the broad, we're putting the broadband connection points, we're rolling out the broadband plan, but we this is a game changer. We cannot lose the opportunity 
to reframe the debate about our regions and by using the lessons from the past. Okay, Richard, I just want to bring you back in there because all this talk about returning to work, do you think it's going mm. to leave some people anxious about that return? They had to make a drastic change in staying at home for the past 16 months and now there's that sense that they may have to go back into the, into the office and how, how will that be for them? Absolutely, Claire. The reality is, um, you know, and I see it in my clinic a lot, and I, I work as an organisational uh, systemic coordinator, and, and that a lot of people don't thrive in human interaction, and that doesn't really get talked about. So a lot of people thrive during the lockdown. A lot of people thrived, you know, outside of the work, outside of, you know, the difficult relationships that, that they might have within their organisation or the commute or office politics. So those for those for those of us in our society, this is a real issue. Going back into work you know, our, our alert system has been hijacked in the last 16 months. And this is a further change. This is a further disruption going back into work now is creating further anxiety for them. And it's really important, you know, this that the communication, I, I agree with Minister Callery there, this is a game changer. COVID, the silver lining of COVID is that it's mm. shot us into the future here. And this was always going to be the way, hybrid was always the way we're going to move. But it's just really important that those who in charge of it really listen to their organisation and really yeah. listen to those of workers who you are could, anxious about You could argue, Richard, that many women are well used to this who've been on maternity exactly. leave and coming back to an office set up after six months or more off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote an article in the Irish Examiner about this and I just said, just remember, basically I was saying a bit, a bit of suck it up because, you know, women do this all the time and they feel all the things that we feel. Will I be relevant? Will I will I have that same friend group? Will I be in the same position I had before I left nine months ago? That's that's a lived experience of a woman, you know, many, many times in their lives. And so my research and my, my experience socially would say that they'd always say to me within within weeks that that social DNA that's in us was firing again and all those worries just dissipated. Okay. Uh, Dara, about that and about the anxiety that workers may feel and uh, tentative for employers as well, what sort of supports do you think will have to be in place? Because it will be a big change for people to return to work. The Thonish has said, let's do this from August. We've had Eamon Ryan saying September. It's at the same time that indoor dining is only going to be open to people who are vaccinated. And, and we don't know when, you know, and then you want people back in the offices around the same time. It's going to, it's going to be tri tricky and difficult. Look, I, I, we're, we're not going to die in the ditch or getting people, we want people back. We want people back in workplaces, but we want them also to come back in comfortably. We want them to come back in securely, that they're comfortable going back into the workplace. But we also want them, their workplace might be in, their, their company might be based one place, the workplace might be different. We will surprise, we will help companies uh, to plan it. We, government supports will be there to help companies to plan that return to work. And, Do you think it um, might be pushed out given the concerns around the Delta variant? Look, we want to try and just work back to normality. We've always been conscious of the movement of people and of the movement of volumes of people. And obviously September is back to school time. That's a million uh, people a day uh, moving around. So that's the priority for September. But we will work with every business. We want to get our businesses back into shape uh, we have shown as a government to be hugely supportive of businesses through this and we will there's continue also, to be. There's all so key issues, isn't there, around ventilation of buildings and making it a, a safe and a secure place for Actually, workers. Actually, the whole ventilation argument is something that hasn't got enough coverage at all during the COVID debate. The, the ventilation of 
offices of workspaces, but also will there of, be grants for 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 employers for companies to to make their their spaces? I think we have shown ourselves safer. to be very flexible as a government in terms of supports. But I know one of my colleagues, John Hart, is doing a lot of work on this um, in terms of looking at ventilation, promoting it. And there has to be much more awareness. Mm. And I think as a government, we have shown ourselves to be very okay. uh, attuned to funding issues that help us get through right. COVID. Uh, Caroline, just on, on this issue around hybrid working and what employees want versus what employers would like to see, um, might it mean that there's a divergence there and that people will look elsewhere, they'll be brushing up their CVs and they say, well, look, if I don't get this hybrid working that I want that suited me, um, I've got used to this new balance in my life, what then? I think a lot of employers are preempting that and a lot of employers are trying to work, as Dara said, with their employees to collaboratively plan this return. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, everybody's back at a specific date. I think it has to be a transitioned planned period to facilitate people to get used to and comfortable being back in the office. But I think there's huge benefits in the mix and the blend. And I think both the psychological and the team benefits and the overall organisational benefits make a big difference to the overall organisation. OK, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Fianna Fáil's Dara Caleri, Caroline Reedy of the HR Suite and Clinical Director of the Therapy Institute, Richard Hogan, who's joined from Seattle. And after the break, we'll be speaking to Andrea Brannigan, the mother of murdered Irish woman, Danielle McLaughlin. Welcome back. Well, a little earlier, I spoke to Andrea and Jolene Brannigan about their daughter and sister, Danielle McLaughlin, who was found dead in Kanakona, an area of Goa, popular in India with holidaymakers, in March of 2017. Last Wednesday, the man accused of her rape and murder, Vikat Bhagat, was denied bail and the resumption of his trial has been set for next Wednesday by a court in India. He has pleaded not guilty to the crime. I began by asking Andrea about her daughter, Danielle's love of travelling. Yeah, that's what she wanted to do and then go on down to Canada and uh, teach it over there in Canada. So um, that was the plan and she left in 2017, um, a month before um, her body was found in Goa. Since then, it's been a really difficult time, I imagine. So four years from the murder and you're still waiting for this trial to resume, Andrea. The trial has been ongoing since uh, July, um, the 4th of July, 2017. But it be on like maybe once, twice a month for 30 minutes at a time. Okay. So we're on witness number 10 of 59 at the moment. So the situation is that uh, the trial got underway. It has been plagued by several delays. And then we had a pandemic. And because of COVID, you haven't been able to travel to India. And that trial is due to resume next Wednesday, Andrea. But you can't be there. No, I have never been to go. But um, I was. I would have liked, I I like to go in the future. No, I can't go next uh, week to see it. But I would like, I don't know how the trial is going to proceed. I don't know if it's going to go the same way as before, like every 30 minutes, like for once a month. If that's the case, it wouldn't be worth my while going over either. Because it can be quite a prolonged um, process, unlike trials here, say, 
in Goa when it's trials involving foreign nationals, this could go on for up to five years. Um, how are you and the family prepared for that? Jolene is there beside you. Um, Danielle's sisters and you must be living through a very difficult time as you wait to see what happens. It's very difficult for us. We don't really know what will happen, but we're hopeful that it will come to an end as soon as possible, especially when we know that the trial has been fast-tracked. So we hope it'll be a lot sooner than five years. But at the end of our time, though, we are always told that like it gets on for about 10 minutes every few weeks. So it's not really going to last. It could be even longer than five years at this rate. So we're kind of just used to it now at this stage. You're hopeful that a video link could be set up in order for you to follow proceedings in court. Isn't that right? I have asked for this on numerous occasions from the start and I've always been told no, that it's not possible, that they won't do it. And what but do they can do a video link in my hand from the jail to the court, but they can't do it for me to view it. What difference would that make to you, Andrea, to be able to see what's going on in court? I would know then what else going on. I'd be able to view what the courtroom looks like. It gets... I might feel more involved in the court case than I am at the moment. Um, unlike cases here, there is victim representation, isn't there? So you have your solicitor working here, but there is somebody who's representing you and your family over there. How helpful will that be? Uh, we had to hire a lawyer. Um, he's very helpful. He would um, inform the lawyer, Des Desmond Orta here, of what's going on, and then they normally contact me right away. Jolene, I know that you want to honour Danielle's memory by travelling, because she loved to travel, didn't she? And you have a plan to, to do likewise and travel to countries around the world that she would have loved to visit too. Yeah, definitely. So far, I've already been to like, countries like South Africa. So like Danielle, I'd like to go to countries that most people don't usually go to, the ones that are like so poverty and that you can actually help them and that you can give back to their community. And then you're leaving a bit of you there too. So I was in South Africa teaching Gaelic football and teaching the Irish language. So it was bringing a part of our culture to their culture and it felt nice giving back to people and then seeing a different part of the world. And how important is it for you, Andrea, to travel to Goa? It's somewhere you want to go to, despite the fact that that's where your daughter died. I would like to go ahead and view it and see the beauty that Danielle's seen. And... Um, just maybe, if possible, maybe speak to him and ask him why. Mm. Because the suspect in this case has pleaded not guilty, so that trial is going ahead on, on that basis. But locals in the area of Goa have honoured the memory of Danielle, haven't they, recently for her 30th birthday? There was a, there's memory and there's a little shrine set up in, in the area where she died, isn't that right? Yes, body was found and locals and uh, some Irish as well and Americans, people from all over the world, um, they go to where she was found and on her anniversary and her birthday and other times during the year and they put wee things there like the photos of her and they came to, just to represent that, to, that there is a place that I can go whenever I do go over. Mm. And how much has that meant to you to get that support from right around the world, from people who knew Danielle and others who didn't? It means a lot to me. It means, it shows me the kindness that there is out there in the world. And it means that she's never going to be forgotten.
Andrea and Jolene, in terms of finding closure, do you think that will only happen when this trial comes to a conclusion? Yes. Definitely. And even though the wait may be long, um, that's something that you will, you know, have to endure. In the meantime, what ways are you trying to remember Danielle and, and get through these difficult days? We would talk with Danielle nearly every day in the house as their younger, uh, their younger girls as well. And like we would do wee things like um, you would do, um, like you'd do an act of kindness on her birthday. We normally do that day there. That you do an act of kindness for somebody to pay forward. And that's a beautiful way of honouring um, the memory of someone who loved life so much, it appears. Andrea and Jolene, thank you both for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast and our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. Matt Cooper will be here tomorrow night at the earlier time of 9pm. From all the late team here, though, good night. Take care. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.